Spectrums next. Welcome to Spectrum, the science and technology show on KALX Berkeley, a bi-weekly 30-minute program bringing you interviews featuring Bay Area scientists and technologists, as well as a calendar of local events and news. Hi, and good afternoon. My name is Brad Swift. I'm the host of today's show. Our guest is Dr. Josephine Yuen. She is the executive director of the E3S Center, a collaboration of UC Berkeley, MIT, Stanford, and the University of Texas at El Paso. Dr. Yuen is a physical chemist by training with a Ph.D. from Cornell University. She was also a postdoctoral fellow at the Argonne National Laboratory. She became a member of technical staff in Bell Laboratories and eventually held director-level positions in product development, product management, manufacturing, and supply line management. More recently, she was the CEO of Triformix Incorporated, which develops and manufactures precision polymer optics for the communications, consumer products, and medical industries. After spending 30 years in industry, she was a program director at the National Science Foundation. Today, she talks with me about the E3S Center here at Berkeley. Josephine Ewan, welcome to Spectrum. Thank you. What is the origin story of E3S. How did it all get started? Well, let's first understand what E3S stands for. It's an acronym, and it's an acronym for a center that's headquartered in UC Berkeley, and it's the Center for Energy Efficient Electronics Science. Our story really began at the National Science Foundation. The National Science Foundation has several programs that fund centers intended to bring researchers from many institutions together to solve difficult problems. And one of those programs is the Science and Technology Center program. Way back, and I believe it most probably was 2008, there was a solicitation asking technical community, and that is universities, to submit proposals for a new science and technology center. This type of solicitation comes out once every three years or so. And so in 2009, Professor Yablanovich of the EECS department submitted a proposal that brings together researchers from various institutions, namely UC Berkeley, MIT, and Stanford, to propose a new center, a new center that will do research necessary to come up with an alternative to the current day transistor. Now, you may want to ask, why do we need that? After all, transistors are everywhere and is in every aspect of our life. The reason we need an alternative is that we need a new transistor or any kind of electronic component that would draw significantly less energy. Power consumption in electronic devices have been dropping by virtue of the fact that through miniaturization, the electronic industry has made great gains not only in power consumption but in the cost of the device. 
But unfortunately, miniaturization has hit a brick wall. It no longer is delivering the benefits it has delivered ten plus years ago, and you can see it by the very fact that the operating voltage of those devices in the past ten plus years ago, when the line was shrinks, you can see a big drop in the operating voltage. But in the last ten years, it's more or less flattened out, and even though the line was Has shrunk further. We see that the operating voltage is around a volt, maybe slightly less than a volt now in the state-of-the-art devices. But really, we want to get to a device that can operate in the millivolt range, and that is what the center set out to do. And we're doing the research necessary to get there.、Mm-hmm. I wanted to have you talk about the themes of research at E3S and what made choosing themes an appealing method for your organization. The center is researching different scientific concepts to achieve different device approaches. No one knows what is the best approach at this point. The current CMOS transistor is ubiquitous. There's no reason to believe its replacement will be equally ubiquitous. The replacement may be a different solution for a different application. That's why our research portfolio includes four themes. Not all four themes address the transistor. If you think of a integrated circuit, it's really a network of switches and the wires that connect the switches. Three of the themes address a different type of switch, while one theme addresses how do you have more efficient wires or lower power consumption wires. Today's wires are copper wires, metal wires, but we are doing research to have the communication between switches being done optically. And just for the record, what are the four themes? The first theme is nanoelectronics. The second theme is nanomechanics. The third theme is nanophotonics, and the fourth theme is nanomagnetics. And you can see the first, second, and the fourth addresses how do you get a different type of switch, while the third theme addresses the interconnection, namely the use of light. For the interconnection amongst the switches, that we also call optical interconnect. How interdisciplinary is the center? Do you have a sense of that in terms of the investigators and the researchers? The center is highly interdisciplinary. The disciplines involved are electrical engineering, chemistry, material science, and physics. You are listening to Spectrum, a public affairs show on KALX Berkeley. Our guest is Josephine Yuan. She is the executive director of the E3S Center. In the next segment, she details the E3S Community College Outreach Program.
an interesting part of the E3S Center is the program you've developed with community colleges. Do you want to explain how that program began and what its goals are? A science and technology center is expected to educate besides doing research, and the education is not only of graduate students. So, in our proposal to NSF, we decided to focus on community college students. The reason we decide to do that is because in California we have the largest community college system in the country, and many women and underrepresented minorities start their post high school education in community colleges. Our country needs to increase its output of workers in the fields that utilizes science and technology disciplines. And in order to do that, we have to be able to encourage and groom participants from populations that are typically underrepresented in the technical world. And it's really based on that consideration that we said let's focus on encouraging students, helping students from community colleges develop a career in science and engineering. What can you tell me about how the program is working and how people participate in it from the community college side? We have a program on campus called the Transfer to Excellence, and this program, while started by the E3F Center, has now expanded to include other centers. This has been made possible because, in addition to the E3F Center's grant. The National Science Foundation also gave us an additional three-year grant to expand the community college program, and that has allowed the program to place students not only in the E3S Center, but also two other centers on campus, namely Coins, that deals with nanomechanics, and also Sinberg, that deals with synthetic biofuels. The students from community college come on campus in the summer for nine weeks to do research. The first week is boot camp, where they learn some of the basics to prepare them to go into the labs, and then for the other eight weeks, they work in the lab on individual projects, and at the end, in the last week of the internship, they have to present their work, both. In terms of giving talks, and also in the form of posters in a poster session, and that typically takes place at the beginning of August. And how large is that program? Last summer, we hosted approximately fifteen students. Is that sort of what your target is for each summer? Yes, between twelve to fifteen is our target.、Mm-hmm. And how do people? In community colleges, get involved in it. How do they get selected, or how do they apply? In the fall, we go through what we consider our recruitment phase. We post the information about the program on the website of our center. The staff of the center also goes out on campus to recruit. We host workshops to sh- share information about the program and also to provide. 
pointed to potential applicants how best to prepare the application. We also have webinars with again the purpose of encouraging and guiding potential applicants and how to apply. And we also work with various community college organizations to promote the program. For example, we ran a workshop in a Mesa conference. Is it statewide? Yes, we're very proud to say that we have brought students from Mount Shasta down to south of San Diego, from the Bay Area to the Central Valley. And I suppose the hope is that the students will then go to four-year colleges, get degrees. Are you tracking at all their progress in that effort? Yes, clearly, the number one goal of this program is to use research to deepen the interests of these students in science and engineering, and to ensure that they will get a good career in science and engineering. A minimally a four-year degree is necessary. So, helping these students to transfer to a four-year institution is a number one goal. In addition, we want to excite them enough that they would even set their sights to go to graduate school. The program provides one-on-one advising on the transfer process, particularly to UC Berkeley, but also to four-year institution in general. And this advising is done by TAP Advisors, which is the Transfer Alliance Project that is part of UC Berkeley's campus. 87% of our 2012 class has transferred to a UC last fall. Most of them came to UC Berkeley, but others went to other UCs as well. And I believe one of them actually transferred to Columbia. And for students that are in community college that might be listening, the best way to find out about it is to go on your website. Yes, that's the best way to find out about the program, and it's also through our website, which is www.e3s-center.org. This website not only provides information, but it is through this website you do your online application. The community college students that are coming, what are their science requirements? The program takes students the summer before they apply to transfer to a four-year institution. By then, we expect the students to have completed two calculus courses and three science or engineering courses, including one laboratory course. Spectrum is a science and technology show on KALX Berkeley. We are talking with Josephine Yuen. In the next segment, she talks about the hope of research migrating from the lab to commerce. The center's focus now is on research. Is there at some point? If you're successful with your research, a capability to implement and build something that would be a prototype of sorts. 
We are very much in the science phase of our center. As a matter of fact, we are very much encouraged by our funder to really focus on understanding the science, as opposed to just using empirical methods to achieve device demonstration. Part of the center's strategic plan calls for, at the end of our center's life, which we expect to be ten years, we will be able to have one technology. Namely, our science will be mature enough that we have a technology that can be commercialized. On the other hand, we are expected along the way to be able to really understand how realistic are our approaches. So we will be expected to have certain types of prototype demonstration in the second five years of our center. Also, each theme we expect that our research may have some near-term applications. And actually, as an example, in theme three, which is the nanophotonics, we expect that our work in photodetectors can have near-term applications. So, in a sense, kind of spinning off some of the early successes within the center, or do you have to move it out of the center to other players? There are different ways of transferring the knowledge that we gain through our research. The center has industry partners. These industry partners are leaders in the electronics industry. They have recognized the need of the center, and we clearly we see them as one of the avenues to transfer technology that near-term or longer-term technologies that may come out of the center. But as you know, there are also many other venues, including potentially some of our students taking technologies and creating companies. So the industry partners also are able to feed back to you,、uh, give you some reflection on your research. The feedback will enable the center to conduct its research to be practical and useful. With the publications, are there any? Restrictions on who you can publish with. Are you seeking out open source journals? The center's research results are published through peer review journals. Many of these journals, one can argue, is not open sourced because you need a subscription to get to them. However, the journals allow the authors to post the papers on their own website. Our center identifies on our website our list of publications, and through the author's own website, the public can gain access to those papers. Are there other centers or other research groups that are doing very similar work that you pay close attention to? Yes, there is a center in Notre Dame that is. Partially funded by DARPA, another government agency. That center involves not only Notre Dame, even though it's headquartered there, but it also has members from many other academic institutions. The name of the center is Least. The center has similar goals as us. We are not the only people that recognize the problem the semiconductor industry is facing.
So there are many efforts and many researchers around the world working on different approaches to solving the problem. We are one of several centers. We believe we differentiate ourselves in part because we have really put a strong emphasis on establishing the science and understanding what has prevented an easy solution. In your personal story, you've spent some time on both sides of the granting process, being with the NSF. What is it like seeing both sides of the process? I was the SBIR program officer at the National Science Foundation before coming to UC Berkeley at the start of the center. A programs officer's job is to figure out what area to fund, and in conjunction with review panels, recommend which particular proposal to fund. And then after the award, the program officer's job is to advise, guide. Oversee the delivery of results and ensure that the grantee is in compliance with the program requirements. But when you're a grantee, your job is to deliver on what you promise. So a lot of the focus is on results delivery, while a program's office job is to facilitate, guide, help, but not directly involved with the results delivery.、Mm-hmm. Which do you prefer? My background prior to going to National Science Foundation was in private industry, so I have a very strong operating background. So, to a certain extent, one can argue that, given the number of years I've spent operating or delivering results, that comes to me more naturally. Josephine Yuan, thank you very much for coming on Spectrum. Thank you for having me. For more details on the E3S Center and their educational program, which covers pre-college, undergraduate, graduate, and postdoc opportunities, go to the E3S website. Which is e3s-center.org. Spectrum shows are archived on iTunes University. We have created a simple link to help you get there. The link is tinyurl.com/kalxspectrum. We hope you can get out to a few of the science and technology events happening locally over the next two weeks. Rene Rao and Chase Jakubowski present the calendar. This Monday, February twenty-fourth, come check out the next edition of Nerd Night East Bay, featuring lectures such as "Explosions, Backdrafts, and Sprinklers: How Hollywood Gets Fire Science Wrong" by Joel Sipe. Then listen to Brian Dote from Sweet Mary's Coffee, and he'll show us how a cherry becomes black gold. In his lecture, home coffee roasting on the cheap with tools you probably already have. And last, Vincent Tanguay will teach us about hypervelocity launchers in his lecture, Hypervelocity Launchers: How to Launch a Projectile at 10 Meters Per Second. That's right, 10 meters per second. 
Once again, Nerd Night takes place February 24th at the new Parkway Cinema in Oakland. Doors open at 7 p.m. On Monday, March 3rd, Dr. Edward Stone of Caltech will be giving a talk about the Voyager spacecraft missions into interstellar space. Launched in 1977 to explore Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, the two Voyager spacecrafts continue their journeys as they search for the heliopause. The heliopause is a boundary between the solar wind and the local interstellar medium. Recently, in August 2012, Voyager 1 seemed to be finally entering into the heliopause. The spacecraft reported finding depleted low-energy particles originating from inside the heliosphere, as well as low-energy cosmic rays from nearby regions of the Milky Way. These, in subsequent observations of the heliopause, are revealing new aspects of the complex interaction of our Sun with the local interstellar medium. To hear a complete history and learn where the Voyager is now, join Dr. Stone on March 3rd at 4.15 p.m. in LeConte, room number one. On Monday, March 3rd, at 7.30 p.m., Hubble Fellow Dr. Jacqueline Faherty will speak in the Planetarium of the California Academy of Sciences. At the close of 2013, the tally of stars with planets orbiting them toppled more than 1,000. The majority of these so-called exoplanets have not actually been seen, but rather inferred from their effect on their host stars. Through painstaking technical methods and tremendous telescope time, a handful have been directly imaged, and these giant planets have shown fascinating diversity in their sizes, temperatures, weather, and relationships to their parent suns. Over the past several years, an entirely new and mysterious breed of planets has emerged. Astronomers have discovered a collection of orphans, planets that are moving through the galaxy seemingly unattached to a star. In this talk, Faraday will highlight how he discovered these seemingly impossible objects and review how these strange exotic planets may be key players in our understanding of planet formation and evolution. Her talk will be held 7.30 on Monday night, March 3rd. Go to calacademy.org to reserve tickets. A feature of Spectrum is to present news stories we find interesting. Chase Jakubowski and Rene Rao present our news. The Daily Cal reports, a new project from UC Berkeley researchers may soon allow the power of ocean waves to join solar and wind power as a commercialized source of energy. The project is led by Marcus Lehman, a visiting graduate student in the Mechanical Engineering Department and supervised by Reza Alam, an assistant professor of mechanical engineering and principal investigator of the research. The project focuses on building a prototype of a seafloor carpet that can generate electricity by mimicking the properties of a muddy seafloor. Therefore, the group is designing a seafloor carpet wave-dampening system that will harness the energy of waves passing over it. Theoretically, the energy generated by 10 meters of seafloor carpet will be roughly equivalent to the energy conducted by a stadium-sized soccer field completely covered by solar panels. As more and more people move to live near coastlines, the researchers expect wave power to be a top contender as the next big renewable resource, especially because waves have very high energy density. The cost of building devices to harness wave power is high, Alam said. The ocean is a difficult place to work, and our devices have to be sturdy enough to combat the ocean's corrosive and harsh environments. But there's an increasing need for clean and socially acceptable forms of generating power. We're working hard with scientists and engineers to make this happen, and it's only a matter of time. A recent study published in the open-access journal Microbiome examined the GI tracts of premature infants in the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, or NICU. The lead author of the study, Brandon Brooks, a graduate student in the Plant and Microbial Biology Department, 
at UC Berkeley collaborated with researchers at the University of Pittsburgh to swab the most touched surfaces at the NICU, as well as collect samples from two premature babies in a small pilot study. They discovered the microbial environment of the baby's GI tracts was strikingly similar to that of the NICU, which was particularly interesting given that the premature babies were treated with antibiotics and should have had a very limited diversity of microorganisms within their GI tract. While most of the microorganisms were opportunistic, a few contained genes that conferred resistance to antibiotics and disinfectant that was used within the NICU. The study provided an important insight into how the pathogenic as well as non-pathogenic organisms are able to move from even the most sterile of environments to our bodies. The music heard during the show was written and produced by Alex Simon. Thank you for listening to Spectrum. If you have comments about the show, please send them to us via email. Our email address is spectrum.kalx at yahoo.com. Join us in two weeks at this same time.